Hello everyone and welcome to our podcast today, Two Crickets in a Thorn Tree. That's right, we're changing the somewhat strange and made up literally five minutes before the show title of Learn Longboy Liberty to Two Crickets in a Thorn Tree. Uh, so this is a change from the um, phrase uh, uh, which was used to describe Helen Sussman, mm. uh, which was a cricket in, a thorn, in the thorn tree. Um, Helen Sussman, for those of you who don't know, she was a sort of lone liberal voice in the white South African parliament. Uh, she was a member of parliament from 1961 to 1974. She was the lone uh, member of the Progressive Party in parliament. In that time. So in I think she time, was yes. with the United Party yes. before that. And then in the 1974 election, seven more MPs, including my grandfather, joined her in parliament for the Progressive Party. Holla. Uh, <laughs> That's, Nicholas's grandfather's surname was Lorimer. Yes. Uh, hence Lur. Yes, yes, of so. the Lur and Longboy show. So just so you know, this show is still brought to you by Lur and Longboy Liberty. Yes. Uh, but we are we, we are now the two crickets in the thorn tree. Yes, which is a name suggested by, I actually can't remember who the genius was who came up with it. Yeah, so as far as I can tell, it was the name of a biography that had been written about, about Helen Sussman, Sussman, yes, by, by Joanna Strangway's Booth. And it, uh, it told the story, I think, of... People, this particular individual, Helen Sussman, getting sort of, she described herself as having a lone little flag in Parliament yes. that uh, was flying proudly on the back of 500 votes. It's so small, the, the constituency of Houghton, this great Johannesburg suburb, where, which was very cosmopolitan in its way and its time because Jews and Gentiles lived side by side, happily together and voted for her together. And she looked to be um, crazy, I think crazy sometimes in the way that that little child in that story we all know who says the emperor is actually naked seems crazy yes. uh, in the she in was, the real world. She was the real world embodiment of that that character. Yes. Yeah, and I think the real world embodiment of the, the interesting real world thing is that uh, unlike in the fairy tale where the kid says it and then suddenly everyone agrees, in the real world the kid says it. And everyone tells them that they're shut crazy up. and to shut up. You're weird. Yeah. You're wrong. You're delusional. You don't know what you're talking about. Yes. But she kept saying it and she kept saying it and she kept saying it. And she went from having those 500 little votes and one seat in parliament to having seven join her. And then... It grew from there and it was... it was. Uh, although, of course, ultimately liberalism did not triumph politically in South Africa. Yeah. Uh, she, start, she, she kept the flame alive yeah. at a time which was very dark in our history. Yeah. And I suppose we feel <coughs> that history repeats itself. We might be going through an, another bit of a little bumpy patch, and so it's perhaps a bit presumptuous of us, but yeah, no, I, yeah, I, I think we've got to say it with tongue in cheek. That's why we're two and yeah, not we're, one. We're also we're playing we're paying homage. We're not trying to to necessarily live up. We don't think we're quite the same level yet. We're not we're not there yet, but but I do think the thorn tree is the same. The, the 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 sense of the thorn tree is this you know there's this South African landscape that one envisages um, before artificial interventions in the environment took place on the high fault and it's it's really dry it's really harsh and and the only things that survive are these thorny entities that kind of push you off and are they they're kind of um, they're hard to grapple with. It's hard to get your your mind around the South African problem. Uh, but if you're inside the thorn tree and you're a little cricket, of course you can jump from thorn to thorn, and hopefully not get pricked. And we hope that our listeners uh, will jump along with us. Excellent. So first, we're going to start off with some 
corrections from things we've said relatively recently. Uh, we're recording this on uh, Friday, the 5th of July, uh, but it's not going to be posted until next week. Mm. Um, one of the things, uh, or possibly this weekend, depending on how our technical schedule, our complicated, intricate technical schedule goes. So complicated. Uh, one of our corrections is that I... Th- Suggested that Bashar al-Assad in episode three was a Druze. He is not a Druze. He belongs to the Alawite sect of Shia Islam. So I apologize for that mistake. So the mistake is uh, just to qualify. So your your major point was in that terms he was uh, distinct from the sort of Sunni population of Syria, who I believe are the largest uh, group. So you were right about that, but wrong yes. about the particular. Yes. And um, shout out to uh, uh, the the president for. For tweeting us about yeah 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 Bashar. well he DM'd us to be yeah, honest he DM'd us he didn't want to make a big deal of it yeah so, but uh, you know Bashar if you're out there listening um, I can't wish you good luck because you know that might be encouraging you to gas people uh, but keep listening but but we we love those corrections so please put them in yeah and we and we're humble like that we we uh, we do make mistakes we we we, we research. Everything we talk about before we get into this, but yeah. that is the kind of thing that crops up. And, and uh, your uh, you and know. thank you for not. I just want to say thank you for not gassing Lur Liberty because, um, yeah. Anyway, mm-hmm. we encourage you to watch the Daily French Show. It's much cleverer than we are. Yeah, even though we're on it sometimes. Yeah, we we kind of bring down the temperature in the room a little bit, which I think uh, is uh, is is fine. But my charm and your beard makes up for it. Yeah, exactly. It's because you can see us, I think we make up for what we lack in, in, in intellect with, uh, with, with physical presence and facial hair. Right. So hopefully we haven't scared too many of you away by, by this point. No. Okay. So, um, I th- but I think that the, the key point of Nicholas's correction is that um, it, it is the case that uh, we get some feedback from our listeners and we, and we do appreciate that. Yeah, you can, you can uh, write to my email address, nicholas at irr.org.za if you'd like to or mine gabriel at irr.org.za if you'd like to tell us that we're completely and utterly wrong about something yeah Um, anyway let's move on to what we wanted to talk about today so the first thing to mention we talked about today in today's Daily Friends show uh, it's worth repeating you should check out that show once again it was about the deficit yeah so um, kind of the personal take on the story is that I'm the officially I'm like a trust fund baby, but just for a year um, because this great financial mail editor of the seventies who turned the financial mail's argument against the made the business argument against apartheid, uh, George Palmer, he passed away and he left some money to fund young promising investigative journalists. Uh, But he gave this mandate that they need to learn about finance. And so they need to write about financial matters in the year that the, that the, that the Palmer Trust takes them on as trustees, as fellows. So for this year, the Palmer Trust is paying me. It's in that sense that I'm a trust fund baby. And um, I did not come to the Institute to, uh, writing about finance. I came in writing about land, writing about personal interest stories in rural South Africa, because I think we all talk about the land, but we don't really talk to people on the land. And that's something that I wanted to do. So I'm very glad for the sort of um, opportunity to, yep. to learn something new. And I, and I think journalism is really great when someone's learning something, asking hard questions, skeptically going through it, and then writing an analysis. And that's what I aim to do, and that's what I have been doing. But 
someone who's been very important in helping me through that process is Ian Cruikshank, who's the chief economist at the Center of Risk Analysis. Yes. He's this sort of wonderful, he's, he, yeah. wizened old man. He's, he, yeah, he's, our, he's our, our source of economic knowledge at the Institute. Yeah, in and, and, he, and he does this thing every now and then where he just knocks, puts, puts his head sort of through my door and says, Gabriel, I'd like you to come into my office, please. And, and he tells <laughs> us something very interesting. It's, it's never good. He, he's Yeah, he's recently been making a lot of points about the fiscus and the potential risks to it. Yeah. So he pointed out that uh, Ned Bank had done an analysis of what the budget deficit would look like if the country sort of follows through with its present policy framework, including the Sonar announcement of a 230 billion rand bailout for ESCOM. Now, last year... Uh, ESCOM was given a few billion rand and people were like, okay, this is okay. It's just a stopgap, but we're not going to take on the toxic debt of ESCOM. Yes, yes, yeah. That would be terrible. Then this year, we sort of the president said we're going to do that. And everyone, I think, is so tired after the elections and so tired after all of the bad news that it kind of didn't get any notice. And in Sona, he said so many other things worth criticizing that it didn't get any notice until someone like Ian Cruikshanks, who's really living with these numbers and reading yeah, the Ned Bank yeah. thing all the way to the very last page where the headline result is hidden, puts his little head through the door and says, come and sit in my office and points out that if we go down this road that the president has committed us to if he doesn't change his mind uh if Tito Mbwene can't change his mind or if they're not turned around we're going to get a 5.5 percent budget deficit at which point not even the IMF will lend to us yeah so it's like you you know you're bad when rehab won't let you in right yeah Yeah. you're not just a drug addict you're a you're a menace to society Mm. or the menace to the international credit ratings (laughs) yeah so it's like that's where we're getting it's like literally the world's lender of last resort for states it's the biggest, most uh, like tough to go into the terrible situations and save it kind of superhero. When they say you're a lost cause, if you keep going down this road, uh, by their rules, I mean, they haven't explicitly made this statement, but by their generic rules, if they say you're a lost cause, then it's hugely worrying. So we reckon, what, uh, Moody's downgrade by November? Yeah, I mean... Or in November? Um, I, I have, I've been in consultation with... Uh, through one of my colleagues with a few score major business analysts in the developed world financial sector who are all Africa specialists. And the consensus there is that we should expect one before the end of the year. Last week I was at a wealth conference in Santon and there they said there will be an outlook downgrade. So they'll say we're looking to downgrade you, but they won't actually pull the trigger. Uh, <laughs> that's by that's the a end bold the move. Year. From if that is what happens, I think that's a pretty optimistic take. Yeah. So so the so it's, yeah. So it's like the best we can hope for is that they say you're worse, but you're not so much worse yet. But yeah. um, I think that they were. I, I think the people in Joburg were not trying to put their heads above the parapet. Uh, so in conclusion. Those of you who can, build a borehole, buy a generator, and buy gold. Buy gold. But (laughs) that's some advice from our top financial journalist. No, 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 no. (laughs) That is is the motto at the heart (laughs) of Lure Liberty. (laughs) All right. So the other thing we're going to talk about today is we're going to have a little uh, discussion of the uh, Democratic primary. Um, in the United States. So, as you know, Americans are forever in election season. Always, man. Uh, They have only a few months break because they've got these sort of two-year elections. And uh, it's a pretty crowded field on the Democratic side. On the the Republican side, it looks like Trump is pretty much unchallenged. There's going to be no sort of John Kasich character who's going to make any real impact in in, in Trump's 
Which, which is remarkable. It might be too soon to come down on that as a certainty, but at this stage, it looks much less likely than it did last year or the year before. There have been a couple of people who've made a little bit of noise, but you know there isn't an obvious contender. It's very possible one could emerge, but yeah. it's unlikely. Hot take, because I haven't seen any analysts point this out, but there was this thing called the Mueller Report, which was hovering over Trump's head for the first two years, and two and a half years of his, uh, of his presidency. And then the Mueller report came out and it said, we can't prosecute this guy on the basis of the stuff that we found, no collusion with Russia. If there was some bad stuff, then that's for Congress to try and figure out. And CNN and company's response was basically, whoa, collusion with Russia. And the Republicans' (laughs) response was generally, well, no collusion with Russia. And so it seemed like nothing had changed. But this is... This is something that's changed, I think. Yeah. I think when before Mueller had come out... The president is no longer under investigation. Yeah. Before he'd come out with that, it looked like John Kasich or someone like that could 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 launch a party coup, could and run against and Trump maybe from inside win, the Republicans. And maybe not win, but cause Trump a lot of troubles. But cause a lot of troubles. And people would say, why are you being so disloyal to the to the party? He'd say, well, why are you being so disloyal to the country by yeah. voting in a president who's, who's being investigated for collaborating with Russia? And now that's changed. As far as I can tell, it's it's it has changed. It could change again, but it doesn't. It yeah. doesn't seem like the most likely scenario. So the things are really focused. So on things things are things are pretty clean on the Republican side. Uh, but on the Democratic side, the 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 idea that firstly Trump needs to be beaten, and that the Democrats can't really agree on how to do it because they thought they had it last time, uh, and that he um, um, and that he seems a bit weak. In some, in a lot of uh, approval polls, he sits in the most narrow. I heard this on on another podcast. He sits in one of the narrowest bands of approval. So there's very few people in America who have not made up their mind about him. Mm. Uh, He 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 kind of stays below fifty percent almost all the time, and he just can't quite seem to break out of that. Mm. So the opportunity exists for a Democratic candidate to come and snatch it from him. And as a result, the field is packed. Also, mm. it's due to the fact that nowadays in America, if you run an unsuccessful presidential campaign, you can sell a hell of a lot of copies of your book, as Bernie Sanders discovered, which is now, he's now part of the 1%. <laughs> oh, Lord. Well, I mean, okay, so I think that's true. I think there's also another side to it, which is that in the past, I think if you ran and you were, and also ran, people never really took you seriously and you ran. And, and you now just you get a show on MSNBC. They, well, back in the day, it would be kind of humiliating, whereas now it's kind of, there's no shame around it because yeah. everyone's doing it. Um, or maybe you even get a... Um, and it can boost your image. Maybe you even get a cabinet position. I mean, yeah. uh, one of the reasons why Hillary Clinton was in Obama's cabinet was because she was his close uh, yeah. competitor. And he had to show that he was he Uniting wanted to the unite party. the party. Yeah. So uh, there have been a couple of, there are a couple of front runners who I think we're going to focus on. Uh, ahead in almost yeah, we're not going poll. through the whole list because yeah. th- this podcast is not five days long. If, if you want to see Yet. one, if you want to see one who, no matter what your politics wait till we're is, famous. <laughs> if you want to see a guy who's just kind of funny and like just a bit depressing, go look up Eric Solwell. I think his name is or Stolwell. Yeah, uh, he's he's I think at zero percent in basically every poll. <laughs> um, and he he was a guy who got into a Twitter fight because he said that it, you know, when they came to confiscate the guns from people because he's very anti-Second Amendment, um, that uh, that the US government was... You couldn't stop them because they have nukes, suggesting that they would nuke the, the population um, of the holdouts. Who ah, yes. It, it, funny guy. 
uh, he's really his campaign is I think the worst I've ever seen. Um, there was a brilliant uh, debate on uh, there was a brilliant interview on CNN where they asked him uh, why are you still at zero in the polls, and he said, "Oh well, it's because most people haven't watched a democratic debate." And then they said, "Yeah, but amongst people who watch the debate, you're still at zero. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> funny guy. <laughs> That's the other kind of cricket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so the front runners in this race, uh, there's a couple. Um, Biden, Joe Biden, the former vice president, is the top contender. Uh, Kamala Harris, who was, I think, the attorney general in um, uh, California. Yeah. Uh, public prosecutor in California. She's she's one of the uh, the top contenders. She's now a junior senator or a congresswoman? Uh, she's a she's a she's a senator. Yeah, um, we've also got uh, uh, what's his name, um, Bernie Sanders. Who yeah, ran last time against Hillary Clinton, we've got Pete Buttigieg, who is a mayor of a small town in Indiana called Shout Out South Bend. South Bend, yeah, that's the name. Of Isn't it. that a name for town? Yeah, it's a very good name. It's like it's like Afrikaners must have come up with that name. <laughs> yes, Clipperi Bart Sonopsbum kind of two buffles mitians could do South Bend. Uh, we've also got Elizabeth Warren, who's a, sen- a, ma- a senator from Massachusetts. Yeah. Um, so some people have commented on how this a lot of the candidates seem to be alerted to the left of, of, of the American spectrum. Right. Uh, apart from Biden, Biden, Biden is more left wing than he used to be, but he's still in the center of the Democratic Party to some degree. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's quite old. Mm. And in the last debate, or uh, the, the, because there's so many candidates, they had to have two debates back to back with mm. 10 candidates each. Yeah, so that didn't include all of the candidates even. Yes. Uh, but it, and you couldn't get them all on one stage. Yeah, there's several requirements for it. Uh, some of them, one of them is that you have to get a certain number of small dollar donations from individual people. Mm. Um, I think it was 60,000 for the first debate. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, um, at that, at the, at the, on the second night, Biden and Kamala Harris were on the same stage, and Kamala Harris went very heavily after Biden. She went after him hard. She's using a personal story of how she was, you know, kind of mixed race person. I think her parentage is black and uh, and uh, South Asian, um, or Indian as we'd call it in South Africa. But a bit more confusing mm. there, cause especially considering uh, Elizabeth Warren's also in the race. <laughs> 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 but uh, she attacked Biden because Biden had opposed a program where the federal government in America had mandated that schools had to bus students around from far away from the places where they lived to other schools to make sure there was racially diverse schools. Yeah. Um, a program that was very unpopular. Mm-hmm. Biden said that I don't have a ne- necessarily a personal opinion. I think I'm, I think he said he was pro, but he just didn't believe the federal government should mandate it. Yeah. Kamala Harris said, oh, I grew up in this... You know, I was one of those children. I wanted to be in a more integrated school. You're, I was being bused there. You're out of touch with the party. You're, she implied very strongly that he was a racist, or at least uh, stupid enough that he didn't understand. A useful idiot to racists, yeah. yeah. or a racist himself. And I think she started out by saying, I'm not saying you're a racist, but, Hannah, Hannah, and, and, which and, is and like a, usually a bit of a red flag. Yeah, yeah. Not and, always. But and Biden was taken a bit by surprise by this. And we've seen it. He really should not have been in the polls. Yeah, he, he shouldn't have been. Um, and maybe it's his age showing, but he kind of he didn't he didn't impress necessarily with his reply. And as a result, he's gone down by about sort of five percent, I think. In, in some sh- of the polls, and she numbers. went up by about. And five. she went up by about that. So the race is now mostly between these top four candidates, uh, which is which is Biden, then um, Kamala Harris in second place, Bernie Sanders in third. Elizabeth Warren in fourth, mm. uh, all quite close to each other in points, b- 
between 22% and 14%. Mm. Uh, with Pete Buttigieg, I think just around 9 or 10%. Mm. And then the rest in the single digits. Yeah. So the tough thing, the tough thing about Biden is that I think at a human interest level, his story is so, I find it touching. I yeah. find it hard to grapple with. Famously, he lost his, his wife and most of his, or some of his children, one of his children in a car crash, I believe. Yeah. yeah. So he was struck by this major tragedy and it sort of, it came at a time in his life, he was already a professional, he was already a political figure and he kind of buckled down um, by working hard and being a sort of a smiley, good news, help other people guy and find the meaning, find meaning in life by by doing good for others rather than by trying to go back into the past and change the past. And I think that in a way that's the kind of story, the kind of personal interest story that one could match to Kamala Harris's is like, you, you, you. The thing about the past is that it is um, ontologically untouchable. Yes. And 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 there's something about uh, releasing one's attempted grasp over it. Yeah. And and taking both hands and trying to grab onto whatever fruit there is in the future. And often for for really scorched people, emotionally scorched people, that can mean sort of trying to help others because it's like my life, I can't make my life into a happy story, but I can try and mm. help you through yours. And he had another very public tragedy uh, last in 2016 when I think uh, one of his sons died from brain cancer. And that one is, is if any, you can't say it's more, but it's, there's, something, there's something extraordinary about it, which is that Hillary Clinton is geared up. Uh, she, in the build-up to the election, is the only person that anyone is talking about in the Democratic Party as being a real winner. And there's resistance building around her, so much so that a, until recently, not a Democrat, Democratic Socialist senator uh, or, or character from, from, from Vermont. Yeah, this outlier, this weirdo. This old guy who sounds like he's shouting at clouds. <laughs> he, the 1%. He almost beats her. He almost beats her. I mean, this is how... Hillary Clinton was such a had such a machinery around her that she seemed inevitable, and at the same time, there were so many flaws There's that she seemed like a, a poisoned, like an albatross yeah. around the neck of the Democratic Party. And Joe Biden was the logical go-to guy. He was the most popular dude in the whole country. He Obama was, fans loved him. Yeah. People who weren't sure about Obama liked him. People who were even quite critical of Obama liked him too. A hell of a lot. He he had this. He, yeah, he was he was really popular in a way because he was, so he got of he got of uh, some of Obama's shine. Yeah. He played a very good sidekick to Obama. He played a great sidekick to Obama. And you could see there was a real, again, at a human interest level, I think that um, so much of American politics is this like fake Colgate smile. And yet the interactions between Obama and Joe Biden had a palpable friendship, a palpable shared hum human sense to them. And that I, I think attracted a lot of people. And so around the time that Hillary Clinton's faults started being pointed out, and the really dramatic one is like, whenever she's out of the public eye, like her approval rating shoot up to 60, 70, 80%. Yeah. And then as soon as she starts running for something, they plummet down to like 30%, yeah. 20%. So it's like, she's this really divisive figure and they'd forgotten about that until she was running again. They're like, who do we turn to? We turn to Joe Biden. And Joe Biden couldn't run 
and he couldn't tell people why he couldn't run because he didn't want he yeah. didn't the reason was my son's dying and I need to focus on my family I can't go through this process for the year and then his son his son died while while he still had time but he was clearly emotionally and just sort of gutted from this and he hadn't been able to tell people about his decision and so he and so he he kind of had to live in this slightly more superficial place where he's like no I'm not running because I like Hillary Clinton I think she can do a good job yeah. and that also made it politically difficult after his son had died to then come back and and say, okay, now I want to run against you. So it's almost as if this personal tragedy robbed him of the chance of running. It's and it's as if this personal tragedy robbed the Democratic Party of the chance to put up a candidate who I'm pretty sure would have beaten Trump. Probably, yeah. And that would have so the whole world would have looked different. And so whereas Biden in the first instance of his family tragedy could turn to the world as a place to try and make better, the second tragedy seems so integrated with the world yeah. that he lives in. And it's such a big world that it's like, how do I get out of it? And it's it seems like he's in this impossible position where the only thing he can do is is either go home and and give up which would would you would know be a crushing defeat it would yeah. be so crushing or to try again even though this time he's a little bit older it's not the same as last time yeah and he's up against much fiercer competition yeah so one of the reasons it, how, uh, that he's still ahead in the polls i think though in the democratic primary is that he is perceived to be one of the most electable and for a lot of democrats the key issue is how do we beat donald trump yeah, it, we don't. We, you know, maybe we don't get the guy that we all want. Uh, Biden is famous for sometimes being a bit of a fool and saying silly things. Yeah, no, he says he's put his foot in his mouth properly. Uh, and so, but whatever, we, but we whatever. just want to beat Trump, and he's we the kind of guy him. who can appeal to people in Pennsylvania, Ohio, yeah, exactly working the class, ones that, that blue collar that Trump used to swing the election in his favor. Yeah, uh, or at the very least, um, you know, maybe win back some of the the white suburban voters who in the, who last election backed Trump, but in the midterms. Flipped. Um, flipped to support to vote in Democratic House House yeah. people. Yeah. Um, so, but but what we've seen on the stage now is that you know this is not going to be a coronation. This is going to be if if Biden yeah. is going to keep ahead. No, this is Game of Thrones. Yeah. Uh, he's going to have to really fight, come back hard in that next debate. Yeah. And 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 show that he's not a doddering old fool. Yeah. By the time anyone gets that crown, it is going to be dripping in blood yes which of course is what precisely could cost the democrats the election because they push each other into so many different corners they've got so many scars on their face by the time they come through while trump while trump in a lot of ways you know he's got he's got problems with uh, with image he says silly things sometimes god he drives a lot of passion against him there are democratic voters are going to come out in a big way yeah. to vote. He he, he, he he whips the base. Huh? Yeah. He whips his base, but he also whips the Democratic base too. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, the, he, he has some, some, some weaknesses. Um, and yet, it's very possible that a bruising, brutal Democratic primary, uh, especially if it results in sort of an extremely hard-lined left-wing candidate who's not very likable to, you know, a more general audience. Mm. Uh, might cost him the election. So it's all going to be very interesting, I think, how this plays out. What do you know about Elizabeth Warren? So I know that uh, people... She strikes me as the most respected of the Democratic candidates when it comes to policy. Yeah. Um, she is very thoughtful. She's very serious. Um, and or at least that's the image she wants to project. Right. And I think she... Well, I think she's done... Part of the way that she has projected that image is by releasing very detailed policy plans. 
And she actually makes this quite explicit when she sort of goes to little rallies and things. She says, who wants to nerd out with me? And, mm. you know, which is a little bit... So <laughs> then so then in terms of her... Yeah, in terms of her image thing, she's got this... Uh, oh, man, she's trying to, I think, play a game that, uh, that we've... No, no, no references back to South Africa, but <laughs> Hell's Teeth, man. We were talking about Sona, like Grandma Poser, kind of talking to the country as if it's a child that's nervous in the corner of a room, and it's like here's your blankie and here's your teddy bear, and like never mind important things like where the light electricity is going to come from, but uh, how are we going to keep the budget together if we are going to keep the electricity coming? Uh, don't worry about that. Just feel better. Elizabeth Warren feels like, insofar as she is playing the parental role. She's the mom who's trying desperately hard to be cool. Yes, yes. Uh, and she's like, well, I don't really drink that much, but like, I do like video games and... But she's got a... She's got a um She's got a long reputation in the in the Democratic Party. For a while, there were people, there were bumper stickers that you could see on uh, some Democrats who put on their cars that would say, I'm the Elizabeth Warren wing of the party, mm. saying that they were the true progressives. They were the true sort of left-wing... Uh, uh, ideologues. So I think she's got this quite long-running thing. Um, her launch was a bit of a disaster when it, you know, she tried to put this Native American thing to rest mm-hmm. in this really weird way by having like a DNA test, and then it was just a bit. It just came off really stupidly. Yeah. So I mean, what what is it about that? I think that um, one thing is that people in America that that are irritated by social identity politics are have a have a really good point here sometimes the labeling of oneself as a victim or as disadvantaged is the precondition to opening a door to greater advantage and this was the charge being led at elizabeth warren's door like when you go around uh, the shopping malls and when you're hanging out with your family, if you're getting pulled over by the cops, you're being treated in a way that is the white side of the white American way. American way. But you make when claims you're being appointed to being to, to university. Then you, you flag yourself as a yeah. Native American because that gives you a leg up. Yeah. So that was the charge. If Elizabeth Warren was going to address that charge, then a DNA test is not the way to do it no. unless you have this weird idea that like the truth all lies in the genes. And if you want to look in your genes, like we're all related to Genghis Khan and we're yeah. all related to the fifth prince of whatever, it, and the it, genes it, aren't the point. It, the point is this, sorry, just to finish this idea. To be a Native American in America, there is kind of a one, there's like a one drop blood theory that, that I think is, is pretty outdated amongst progressives. The real idea is that your race is a socially defined thing. Mm. And so the, the people to ask aren't the, aren't the scientists with their little lab coats and this girdle, this kind of nasty echo of a previous era. The people to ask aren't other Native Americans. And that's who Elizabeth Warren didn't really ask. She kind of made reference to her grand saying this and saying that. But the thing to ask is the chief of whatever the local authority is. And that's exactly what her critics did. And those guys said, no, she doesn't qualify as a Native American because she doesn't belong to a community. She doesn't espouse our our traditions and our rituals. And if she has Thanksgiving in her kind of way, that that just doesn't square with what we consider to be the social fabric that weaves us together. The problem is she's... She's in a sense been caught out as 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 being a bit of a fool because she said um, on her applications and stuff she listed herself as a Native American and she submitted, for example, a 
a uh, native a su- allegedly Native American recipe <laughs> to to a book that was supposed to it was called uh, Kung Pao Chao Wao or something like that. Yeah. Um, anyway, so so she's she's had this kind of image problem, but I think she's managed to gain back quite a lot of ground since then. So she's been slowly climbing in the polls and seems to be eating support from Bernie Sanders, who's the other very progressive candidate. Now, don't make any mistake. Uh, she is quite hardcore in some of her policies. Yeah, so tell us about her policies. Uh, well, I don't have a super in-depth knowledge, but I know that one of her one one thing that she has suggested to give you a sort of flavor of the way she's thinking mm. is that all companies with boards over a certain size should have their boards at least partially or entirely appointed by the state. Uh, and this is supposed to include sort of like, it's supposed to be like a social compact thing. Something it's I think Ramaphosa might might yes. be quite on board with. Yeah, uh, You have, you know, some representatives of the workers and you have someone in the community where they operate and mm. that kind of ah, thing. Ah, what do you call them? The stakeholders? Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. So the boards should more uh, accurately reflect the stakeholders rather than the necessarily the, the owner's wishes or the shareholder's wishes. Mm. Which is tantamount to a kind of sort of partial nationalization of huge portions of the American economy. Mm. which is very radical indeed. Yeah. Um, and just to give some qualification to that, because we are, well, so I like Germany. I think Germany is an interesting model for how to run a country. And you're damn uh, commie. <laughs> <laughs> so the East Germans, when they joined with the West Germans, they said, we'll do this capitalism, but you have to remember we've been communists for a long time. And one of the things that they did is make it the case that a lot of Mittelstadt's kind of white goods producers fairly small companies, but there's so many of them that kind of run. Also, it's not just finished goods producers. Huh? It's, 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 comp- it's, it's manufacturing of parts that fit into other things, and they often make really smart parts. Um, and in a lot of, in sort of, I think generically in those companies, about 20% of the board has to be sat on by union reps. And uh, the German economy's done pretty well relative to other European economies. Some people will say they've done better because of this. Other people will say they would have done better without this. It's other fundamental factors that have been pushing them in this direction, and this has created an artificial ceiling. But just an important thing to note is there's a very big difference between kind of setting up a system when you've got a unification of a country that's uh, been yeah, in, and where in labor great unions turmoil. have played a very different role. Yeah. So and the and and the culture of labor unions in Germany versus the culture of labor unions in other parts of the world, including America, is I think a very interesting topic. We're not going to also get too also. deep into it today, but I just want to finish this thought. If you there's a difference between sort of having the system in place and putting the system in place, and it's that shift that's quite threatening, and then also bringing in stakeholders like the people who live around yes, the factory. Exactly. That's just it's just like uh, it's untested, and it's and it seems. Um, I don't know. It seems kind of Pocahontas to me. It seems like the only way you'd think this <laughs> is a good idea is if you have some Native American kind of picture of <laughs> an idyllic people where no one ever plucks a berry from a tree unless there's some kind of consensus that this tree's got too many berries and we can take an extra berry from it. And I think that is part of what worries me about her in quite a deep way is that the aura that she's trying to create around herself of being very benign very friendly kind of force. She, she also with this native. It's think, not an I think, accident. I think her pitch has been: I'm Bernie, but I actually know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I'm super smart, and I, and I ha- and I can do the details in a way that you can't. Yeah, and maybe and maybe that's accurate, but maybe the focus is also different because Bernie. Um, 
You know, Bernie's big burning issues to me that 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 resonated in the 2016 campaign was campaign finance reform and gerrymandering reform. But that's not what caught fire with him in the Democratic Party. I think the, that the, it's ex- there was a I, little bit of that, but I think if you look at Bernie supporters who then were never were never Clinton supporters, I think that was I think that was huge to them. Although at least some of it was this perception of this. Uh, that he was anti the corporations, whereas Hillary was in the corporations. Pockets. Right, right. And the, campaign for, uh, finance reform is a little bit of that, but it's not the whole story. Right. I mean, but he didn't want to. He didn't want to uh, gut the corporations. He kind of wanted to build a Chinese wall between corporate America, between Wall Street and Main Street. Wait, am I getting that right? Between Wall Street and the White House. Um, yeah. And I, anyway, I think that was an appealing thing about him. And 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 Elizabeth Warren, in in as much as she's more detailed, she's more detailed in ways that like speak to these socialist utopian, um, yes, kind of targets these these goals, telos. That and 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 often I think the detail's not really the missing ingredient there. The missing ingredient is a, a self aware reflection on why it is that you think the market is is so bad. Like what is it about the human beings that decide that the way they want to get ahead is by being tested by customers? Are you going to buy my thing because it's good or are you going to buy my competitor's thing? Why do you think that those people are so bad and that the people who go out fishing for votes, are you going to vote for me or vote for my alternative, are so good that with them in charge, things are going to be better off? That seems like something well, I that I haven't seen. A, I think um, her answer to that will be something along the lines of, well, because the person in charge will be me. Right. Um, so it doesn't seem she she just seems like unself reflective. She seems like she's so she's so stuck in the weeds that she's she, she, I don't anyway. I'm, so, I could so be missing reason, something. The I must say that very smart people like her and and yeah. people that I respect. Yeah. The reason that I'm I'm focusing on her a bit is because even though she's fourth in the polls, she's been rising yeah. quite slowly but quite consistently. Um, she seems to be eating a, a, a part of Bernie's support base, which. Uh, which and Bernie for a time was looking like he was going to be the real challenger to Biden, and uh, until Biden announced he was actually ahead in the polls, he yeah. was a top candidate. So um, her rise is quite interesting because it does seem to me like she has a lot more staying power. They have also read stuff in the US. Uh, a lot of people are saying that she's being very strategic in how she's targeting specifically Iowa and New Hampshire voters. So yeah, she's got the best. She knows, in that sense, the details. She's been, got, huh? Yeah, she's been building her campaign on the ground in those states. Yeah. Now, what's very important to remember is the, the, the Americans, they always start when they're choosing their presidential candidates. They start with Iowa, where they have the Iowa caucuses, and then they have the New Hampshire primary. And there's a lot of talking in those. It's yep. like harder to get your game going with just a lot of adverts. It's like people really want to come into the yep. town hall meetings. And, yep. the th- and then once those elections have been settled... Yeah. Huh? And so, 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 yeah, if you win both Iowa and New Hampshire, you look really strong. History's Almost on your side. Everyone starts to fall in behind you, yeah. and it becomes extremely difficult for other candidates to start breaking into yeah. the race. Um, you know, one of the reasons that Trump's nomination took so long is because he lost Iowa. Yeah. Now, it's quite rare for one candidate to win both Iowa and New Hampshire, but uh, Elizabeth Warren's doing quite well in, in, in both yeah, of those. Yeah, better there than across the country. And if I can chip in with one other thing that I think is in her favor, I think that she could... I think she could do more b- damage to Bernie Sanders than she already has. Yes, I was I was following American. I mean, I'm, I suppose we all were because we don't really. Choose, it's hard to choose not to. But American politics in the build up to 2015. I had I had recently lived there for six years. I'd moved out, but uh, I, I I felt um, a better kind of atmospheric understanding of what was going on, and I think that the story that that gripped people very that gripped a lot of people very deeply was we've had this terrible recession. 
and all of the gains since the recession have gone to the top 1%. Yeah. And America is America is not like South Africa. Like uh, socialism versus capitalism doesn't have the same meaning there and it certainly doesn't have the same media uh kind of back and forth there in south africa it's like hard to find a paper or a, or a radio station that really speaks to the free market as being a a, a a viable domain to solve a lot of society's problems and to and to create prosperity in america it's taken for granted in vast swathes of the country that the free market is excellent and get and there's a huge skepticism about what government can do and pork barrel spending uh is like such an american phrase uh, it comes with hot dogs on the 4th of July. They love the pomp and ceremony. They love the military. But they're like a politician who, a lot of them like a politician who's going to stay out a little bit or at least talk to staying out in a way that we don't talk to it at all. Yeah. A lot of them would talk to budget cuts in a way we won't talk to it at all. So, sorry. The point is that things have changed fundamentally between the time that Sanders ran and now because the late stage in the recovery or the boom, whatever you want to call it, since 2008, has inverted that sort of return on new reward scheme. We now have record low unemployment in yeah. America. We have record well, there low. A, there was a thing that came out today that there was higher than expected job creation in the US. It was like 222,000. Yeah, so everyone's already known that story, but yeah. even still, it's still it's, pumping. It's, it's, yeah, it's still getting... It seems to be getting better, at least in employment terms. Yeah. So in employment terms, in terms of in terms of uh, uh, wage terms, it's been it's been getting to better too. The uh, there have been more raises going to like the the lower uh, third and fourth quintile than 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 before uh, in than at any other stage during this recovery. So it's like Middle America is starting to feel in its pockets what a lot of commentators don't want to talk about um, that are that are anti-Trump. And of course, one of the things, okay, this is not Trump's fault, this is Obama's fault, whatever. They both set the preconditions. A lot of this has to do with wealth creators. Yeah. And a lot of this has to do with hard workers. Like if, if, there's, if you're only going to say it's one person's fault, well, then God damn it, it's the business's yeah, fault and that a, people are getting like more I jobs because really, it's really, been doing good business. I really business. hate this take, this take of, uh, oh, it's president did this or the president that, as though the presidents are like the high priest of the economy. And yeah. this is something that some other American writers have gone on a lot about. You know, Congress also plays a role. They often take yeah. the direction of the president, but when they're from the other party, they do things. So, for example, during Obama's tenure, the Republicans, they didn't, uh, they didn't cut spending much, but they slowed spending way down. From the way, government. way down. If you look at what the uh, what Obama's government wanted to spend, yeah, and then you compare it to what they actually spent because the Republican Congress negotiated them down, it's much lower figure. And this is not even to talk about TARP, which was the big first big spending thing, the targeted asset relief program, which is signed, which is what saved the banks. Yeah, and that was actually signed into law by George W. Bush. Yeah, exactly. So, so these things uh, are these things are complicated. It's complicated. There's a lot of there's a lot so of players. I, yeah. yeah, I don't want to get in the weeds about that, but. What is definitely true is that America's economy for, for average Americans is better now than it was before. Yes. And that makes it much harder to be Bernie Sanders yes. and to say, this grand capitalist scheme is only good for the 1%. Yeah. Sorry, my Bernie Sanders started no, was, veering that towards- That was good though. <laughs> I haven't tried that at all before. Anyway, it makes it harder for him to sound as legitimate as he did in the after in 2015 when the recovery had been so skewed and so i think elizabeth warren's approach she is smarter she's more granular she's more granola she's less alienating i think that she's gonna 
I think she stands a good chance of eating Bernie Sanders's lunch. Yeah, I think that's broadly right, um, and I think that you know <laughs> some commentators said on that 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 debate stage that when Bernie wasn't just doing a one-on-one with Hillary. He just looked like a crazy old man shouting. Now, maybe he doesn't to everyone, but that does seem to be, I think, the impression. That's the impression I've had. I've got to say, time. I was a huge Bernie fan. Yeah, well, you know. If I could have voted in the Democratic basically a commie. primary, I would have voted <laughs> for Bernie because <laughs> I felt the burn. <laughs> no, man, because I did not like Hillary Clinton. Yeah, well, that's that you and you and a lot of America. Yeah. Uh, enough so much that they Jesus, so the, much so they elected a man covered in spray tan. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think uh, that that this election season we've we've still got a long way to go. It's anybody's primary. There's no there's no coronation at this point. There's no coronation in sight. Yeah. Uh, Biden looked like for a little while that he might run away with it, but as with American politics, uh, predicting things is often very dangerous. As the New York Times discovered last time when they. Oh out, my God! Put out uh, what was it? Ninety-nine percent chance Hillary Clinton win yes. three days before the election. Ooh la la! Yeah, that was a bit awkward. To be fair, though, uh, Trump won in a very uh, narrow sense, but he still won. He did not win in a one in a hundred way. He won in a yeah. one in three way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's 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 a good way of putting it. Uh, that's. Um, so, okay, can I tell my story about Mayor Pete? Yes, you can tell yourself. I was just about to ask you, why do you no longer like Mayor Pete? You were you were a fan of Mayor Pete. Oh you know, God, I was chewing more. your ear out. I was like showing you all yeah, the videos. Yeah, you, like, you were like, oh, come on, man. He's so much better than everyone. And he's great. And he's better than Trump. And, and I was like, mm-hmm, you call me. <laughs> but it turns out that maybe, and I mean, not to be smug here, but maybe I was right. Oh, man. Yes, I think maybe you were right, but... Uh, well, not for the reasons I gave you, though. But not for the reasons you gave me. <laughs> So Mayor Pete, Mayor Pete comes from South Bend. I really like the name. I I like I like the first thing that I liked about him, and this was before he announced, was his composure. He's mature. He's yeah, and he seems to have proved that continuously since since then. Yeah, and exactly. I mean, the he, a lot of people have said he's done the best in the debates, and he's done the best in the debates by not jumping for the soundbite, by not jumping down the next guy's throat. I think Camilla Harris is lo- super I'm, smart, but it's like, yeah. A lot of these small-town politicians, what they do is they, they get a little bit of fame from something, they suddenly come out on the national stage, and when they're in the big leagues, they just fold. Yeah. Uh, Sarah Palin was a good example of this. Perfect example. Um, Scott Walker from Wisconsin, the famous Republican yeah. governor, yeah. he was an example of that. Yeah. I mean, he, he was... He he won bitter re-election campaigns at Wisconsin, but suddenly he was up on the debate, uh, you know, in the Republican primaries, and he just couldn't hold it together. Yeah, and Mayor Pete is holding it together. He's got his composure, and I, and why? Where does it come from? Well, intellectually, he's a road scholar. He's like a brilliant, hardworking dude who's like dedicated himself to thinking very deeply and profoundly about very complicated issues, and not thinking about it by. Uh, going to Twitter, but thinking about it by reading complicated texts, sort of seeking out the best thinkers and coming to grips with the most com- with the most powerful arguments on both sides of the issue. And I think because he can muster those arguments, he's less worried about trying to score the cheap soundbite victory. So that's great. Also, he was a soldier in Iraq. You know, the, I think people criticize Donald Trump for 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 skipping the war, for being a bit of a flake. Oh no! I just had bone spurs. It was totally legit, completely legal. You know, <laughs> yeah. My, so my personal Vietnam was dodging STDs. <laughs> so you know, he might think that like you're a hero if you don't get caught. Um, and uh, and and I think that was a nasty thing he said about. Um, uh, oh God, his name is John him. McCain. John McCain, but but. 
Pete Buttigieg did not get caught and he served many tours of duty. He's yeah. a real hero. Yeah. Uh, salute, you know. So he's got the kind of intellectual composure that you'd expect to survive the crisis of debate on the, on the, in front of the floodlights. And he's got even more than that, this like hard spine of knowing what it is to have people try to kill you who know how to do it around you in the desert with other people to protect. And I respect that. But like, uh, like a lot of tragic love stories, you oh. discovered a dark secret about your beloved. God, I discovered a dark, and it's not that he's gay. I like that he's gay. It's fine. No one was accusing you of being homophobic. So that <laughs> I just want to say a quick thing about that because it's been on my mind. You know, when Barack Obama, if I could have voted in 2008, I would have voted for Barack Obama. Why? Primarily because I think the Republican Party needed to be punished for this foreign affairs fiasco uh, that was the Iraq War, and they ne and they needed to not have another guy from their team get elected again, despite the fact that John McCain was quite a, a charming chap. But the other reason is, and I say this explicitly when I lived in America, I would have voted for Barack Obama because he was black, because I thought it was important for Americans to see a black president and it was important for people to see that black person could be electable in that country. Since then, you might think I'd, I'd feel the same about Steve Buttigieg being gay. There's been huge changes in the kind of gay, um, uh, the position of, of queerdom in American politics and in global politics, particularly because of the U.S. Supreme Court's decision about equal rights for marriage. And it would be a nice way of ratifying that decision, which was like an elite decision made by the courts by saying, look, we've got a gay candidate and everyone will vote for it. You know, he'll get a majority support. And mm. I, if, if, I, if I was a student, if I was still 18 years old, I would have made that argument. And today I don't make that argument because of what I feel like I've learned from uh, the Obama experience and what I think a lot of people have, which is that it's you really are playing with fire when you start letting that kind well, of thing into your- Well, that's the door to identity politics, yeah. Yeah, and so, and it's and it's harsh because I, you know, I kind of, oh man, a lot, it's, it's, a lot of people have a very difficult road. A lot of homosexuals have a very difficult road and having a president out there that openly identifies would make that road easier. And so it's hard to yeah, say sure. that doesn't would, matter. You know, for, for some gay kids, uh, it would probably be a pretty pretty uh, big determinants in that, you know, staying away from depression and that kind of stuff. They can see, you know, I actually can make it. Yeah. You know, even if my, I don't get on so much with my parents, maybe, or they bully me at school or whatever. It's a good thing to know. But... Let's get to the point. Okay, let's get to the point. Why, what is it that he did to piss you off? Okay, so it's, so what he did is he was he was getting polled and he was doing really well. He was the rising star. Everyone loved him. And then they noticed where his numbers not rising and they're not rising amongst black Americans. Yeah. And then he does this. He's currently polling at 0% amongst black Americans. So, so what does he do to kind of get his black cred? Well, he's got two options. One thing he could do is kind of take a tropian line and say the Democratic Party for the last hundred years since Woodrow Wilson has taken a sort of paternalistic attitude towards black Americans thinking that we need to take care of them they suffered unduly under slavery immensely unspeakably and so now white America needs to kind of treat a black America like a like a like a like an amputated child or like an amputated grown-up that can't really do all of the things it needs to do for itself and this is a bad idea he could say that this is a bad idea and I want to go for a new way. And a lot of Americans would say, well, you're a racist. But a lot of black Americans, I think, would say, fantastic. Thank you so much. I'll vote for you. But Fantasy Pete didn't do that. But Pete did not do that. Instead, he went and did a show with Don Lemon, um, a CNN presenter who, who kind of sets this thing up in the social identity way. He says, I've got solidarity with you because we're both gay, but you're struggling amongst black people. What do you think about the, the, the state of politics? Why do you think this is not working? This is kind of the, the meat of the interview. Um, sorry. And, and, and the opening question is like, 
how do you think things are going to go? And, and, and Mayor Pete's answer is that we need a reckoning in this country. If we don't confront racial inequality in my lifetime, then I think it's going to break the country in my lifetime. And to explain this, he says that we've had this naive view. We Americans have had this naive view that if you don't have proactive uh, racial preferential treatment from a policy point of view, from a, from a, from a, from a private point of view, then, uh, uh, then if you just have neutral treatment, then things are going to be right. And he's like, no, that is a naive view. What you need is preferential treatment after the discriminatory treatment to make up yep. for it. And that's, you know, pe reasonable people can disagree about whether you need neutral policies or preferential policies, but to pretend that America has not had preferential policies for the last, since the civil rights movement in yes, some I mean, sense, of course we get is it an ignorance about history that is intolerable to me? It's, 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 it's insulting. We, it we, insults we get our phrase, the Civil Rights Act. We get our phrase affirmative action from the states. From the states. It insults, it insults the, 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 the interpretations of the executive orders of FDA. Of, of John F. Kennedy and, and LBJ. It insults the Civil Rights Voting Act, which is explicitly preferential in terms of looking at states that used to discriminate against black people and saying, we need to make sure in these states that we make it as easy as possible for black people to vote. It insults people like Thomas Sowell, who is black and who has made a career out of analyzing the preferential treatment of black Americans and asking whether treating them in this paternalistic way has actually helped them, has actually helped yeah. them or hurt them. He just... He doesn't argue with them. For once, Mayor Pete, instead of coming with an argument, comes with ignorance, comes with a soundbite, comes with, well, we've had this naive idea that you can just have race-neutral policies and then everything's going to be okay. But, but no, now we we've discovered have, yeah. that we need to do something else as if the we last 50 racist. years of history didn't yeah. happen. And it pisses me off, and I liked him, and I think it's very <laughs> worrying because if America does not put up a decent Democratic candidate, then as South Africans, we sit in a conundrum. Yeah, which I, which to explain is that if Donald Trump criticizes this country, there are so many people here that are so convinced that Trump is terrible. Our media elites, yes. What Sitlen Gobesi calls the Trump derangement syndrome, TDS, unlike P, P, T, P, P, post traumatic PTSD. stress. PTSD, where you have, after a trauma, you kind of lose your reason a little bit for a while in terms of some issue. This is sort of before the trauma happens. If, mm. if the orange tang just enters the room, then it already is the trauma, yeah. and you need to stop thinking. If he yeah. says expropriation without compensation is bad, that half of this country starts good. thinking it's yeah. good. It's terrible. So, you know, one good thing that could come out of the election in 2020 for a South African is never mind American politics, never mind what's good or bad for them. If if a candidate came in who could credibly criticize EWC, who could credibly criticize the, the sort of um, BEE policies that we have, and Mayor Pete, I thought, could do that because he fired the first black mayor of South, the first black police, police, chief, commission, yeah. police chief of South Bend, because he said he's not sticking to the rules. He's wiretapping other police chiefs. And why is he doing that? He's trying to fight racism. Well, maybe that's a nice thing to do, but you've got to follow the rules, whether you're black or right. This is exactly what we don't have enough of in South Africa. We're like, if you're black in South Africa, then you don't need to follow the rules. Special allowances need to be made. If you're Jacob Zuma, you can keep running the country for 10 years, even though there's br flagrant evidence of corruption against you. Because white monopoly capital is against you. Because white monopoly capital is against you. This is the argument being made by the police yeah. chief. And Pete... Buttigieg is the only candidate in the Democratic primary system that I thought could become president of America and could legitimately criticize yeah. our country's race nationalist policies and, and do so subtly, I do so smartly, do so gently, yeah. but do so extremely clearly and in a way that would shift the balance of forces in favor of classical liberalism in this country. And now I see that he is just another panderer and it makes me very worried because who else, if not him, who?
Well said, sir. Uh, but I think I think that that issue in foreign markets of South Africa's, you know, uh, what what you might call the white question or, or the, EW- the white question. Yes. yes, what do you do with these white rats? Or or, or the EWC question yeah. uh, has become very polarized along those lines. Uh, our, our colleague Terence Corrigan talks about how the uh, the alternative for Deutschland, um, the AfD, which is the sort of right wing opposition party in in, in uh, Germany. Um, has been pushing sort of this issue and kind of further far right and some of the kind of more nationalistic groups in Europe have been pushing this issue. So yeah. it has already, I think, unfortunately become very toxic for overseas. Oh God, I mean, if we, yeah, they, they all, what do they want? They all want white genocide. Those the, the white nationalists around the world, their favorite thing, it would be so delicious because it economically would not hurt them at all because yeah. our, our beef and grain oh yeah, we're not exports important. are so small that if, only 50,000 white would, farmers would, could be killed tomorrow. They would have something to sing about for the next 50 years. And yeah. so they don't really want to stop it. They really want it to be worse. Yeah. So, you know, not that so we're, who's saying, here not to that we're saying that there's a white genocide. No, the no, whole point is that there isn't. But some people want there to but be a white genocide. Want it to be and a, some of them are white nationalists and some of them are black nationalists. Yes. Guess what? Race nationalists often want exactly the same thing. Yes. And it's classical liberals who want the opposite thing. It's classical liberals who want peace. It's classical liberals who want independent people to get along yep. nicely, work hard, enjoy themselves on the weekends, maybe even go to church and be or left synagogue the hell alone. or mosque, be left the hell alone to decide what they want to do on yep. Sunday, maybe play video games. Yeah. Well, that sounds like a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're going quite long. Um, look, yeah, so I think, in conclusion, if we wanted to summarize everything. It's uh, a disaster. It's a bit the of a Democratic disaster. Democratic primary is not looking absolutely fabulous. It's not looking yes. great. In my personal opinion, uh, we should probably, the best that they can come up with is probably Biden. Uh, Biden might moderate some of the, 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 the sillier ideas they've had recently, particularly around identity, because he's pandered to it a little bit, but he also hasn't fully bought into it. Uh, of all the candidates in the race, he's probably one of the only ones, or at least of all the big candidates in the race, he's the only one that hasn't completely, uh, entirely made a sort of identitarian pitch. Yeah. And so, unfortunately, a man who I who is in his late, who's going to be sort of in his well, 80s, the other thing, if he if he if he wins the presidency, then questions about the superpowers of the American healthcare system will become very concrete because yeah. it's like how long can we keep this man? Yeah, yeah. It's gonna it's gonna be it's gonna be complicated. It's a horrible thing to think about this poor guy whose family has been, you know, one and by he's one. Old and he's away. tired and yeah. And now he's the only one. Or, you know, maybe just four more years of Trump. Who knows? Maybe that'll be better at the end. <laughs> and you hear half of the world erupt in pandemonium. So the point is, if Biden doesn't get it we're in for another four years of fun. Maybe a Dem wins, but there'll be a fun Dem, unlike, <laughs> <laughs> unlike Biden, who will be a boring Dem. <laughs> yeah. No, it needs to go well, uh, and people are going to be talking about these elections for a long time. So uh, we have gone. We have gone. There's a long way to go. Important. There's a long way to go. Um, it's, I think, a nice to just talk about these, these, these candidates. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, we'll, we'll get to talk about Brexit next time, which will be... which. Every day unleashes new... Uh, yeah, if the world is still with us. I mean, if you guys haven't, just Google Gibraltar, Iran, British seizes massive oil tanker. Or you can check that out on the uh, Daily French show on the, for the 5th of July. Which oh, right. Yeah, don't Google. Go to the Daily French show. Yes, go to the... <laughs> Promote our own stuff, Gabriel, please. <laughs> anyway, we'd like to thank you for joining us today. Huh. Uh, we'll, we, uh, a reminder, we are changing our name to two grasshoppers in the thorn, in the thorn tree. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna have to work on the cricket noise yes 
both of us will do practice over the weekend. Anyway, uh, if you like what we do at the Institute of Race Relations, you can SMS your name to 32823. Uh, SMSs cost one rand and have uh, terms and conditions apply. And we'll see you soon. Keep the flag of liberty flying. Do, do, do.